0: Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art. But I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm to table dining in Baltimore. At Forged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see, it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forged Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit ForgedEatery.com. the truth in this art. I am your host, Rob Lee. Thank you for tuning in to these conversations at the intersection of arts, culture, and community. This is the podcast where people share their stories. They share their stories. This is a storytelling podcast, but we like to be authentic. We like to share the real story, warts and all, not the buttoned up sort of uh, public persona, but the real the real story, the real conversation. And today, in that vein, we have a great, great guest. Um, his work has been featured in LA Times, New York Times, New York Post, TMZ, Yahoo. I'm gonna take a deep breath because the list goes on and on, including Billboard, The Associated Press, and CNN. He is a 25-plus year veteran of the entertainment industry, and he is the founder of AllHipHop.com. Please welcome the great Brouchy Greg Watkins. Welcome to the podcast. What's up? Co-founder, founder of AllHipHop.com, right?
1: Yes, sir, founder of All Hip Hop. We launched it, my business partner and I uh, got together in 1997, and here we are 25 years later, you know, still, still going at it you know
0: yeah and i definitely i definitely have some you know some questions that tie in it because i start looking at numbers i'm a data analyst by by day and i'm like all right hip hop turned you know 50 last year and i was like you guys are like 25 i was like, <laughs> like like the son of hip hop and all but we'll definitely get into that um a little bit deeper but um yeah so you 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 gave sort of the the intro line like the founder what have you um does it, does it go deeper than that? And, and the reason I ask is, you know, usually I do these intros and, you know, we do the press release, we do all of that stuff. And, you know, you have artists and they have their artist statement, but there's something left out. You know, there's always something left out inevitably. So, you know, giving you sort of that space and tapping back in, give us that, that introduction, like who, who's, who are you as the person, you know, aside from like the founder,
1: you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, me as a person, I am, you know, really into technology and I have been since I was two or three years old. I've always been infatuated with radios. I've been infatuated with record players. I've been infatuated with watches. I've been infatuated with cell phones. And, you know, I mean, all of these things, I, with the exception of the record player, which, you know, was made in the 1890s, I have had most of these technologies as they were emerging you know what i mean so when when um uh, tape recorders became available for consumers my parents bought me one when i was 2 or 3 years old and we're talking you know the mid mid 70s when um turntables you know started becoming a big thing in hip-hop i had to have a pair i had mixers you know i had you know uh uh boom boxes with tv a tv on it you know what i mean like i just have always been interested in emerging technology And, you know, that's really how I found my way into all hip hop and, you know, the internet, you know, believe it or not, it is hard to believe for some of your younger listeners that at one point, the internet was an emerging technology, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, you know, that was something that immediately drew my attention because, you know, I, my first career was as a record label CEO, you know, uh, in addition to being in the technology, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur you know so i had you know followed the likes of barry gordy and read their biographies and all these things throughout high school curtis mayfield a huge influence on my career not just because of his music but because he was also an entrepreneur with you know his first record label windy c and then he obviously formed um you know his uh his record label uh and you know his 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 famous record label um kurtom and you know those those things you know really inspired me as a young person because they were pretty much the same age as i was when i was starting when they you know experienced their success and so you know i i just you know Kind of mashed all these things together and then because i've always been in the hip-hop culture i mean i've been in hip-hop since i was you know seven eight nine years old and it was something very natural to me you know rapping djing break dancing um even dabbling in graffiti not necessarily on walls but you know drawing and um I kind of put it all together. And by high school, I had my first record label set up. You know, as we were discussing before the call started, I live in Delaware, where, you know, it's the home of incorporation in, you know, this is where everybody incorporates. And so, you know, I incorporated my first record label in high school, put out my first 12 in in my first releases, you know, when I was in, in my final year of high school, put out my first 12 inches that got reviewed in Billboard in 1993, you know, and then by 97, 90, I would say 95, 96, I figured out the internet. I figured out MP3s. I figured out how to sell my MP3s. I figured out how to distribute my physical property, my physical uh, merchandise, records and tapes to people all throughout the world. And, you know, that's that's where it started. So who I am as a person, I feel like I am a living, breathing embodiment of somebody who lives and breathes all different forms of new technology.
0: I, I hear it. And thank you. Um, I, I checked out because I did my research. I saw you over the years as the as the beard was forming and you know, that that the the flavor was there. And I was like, all right, okay, I see Greg, I see Greg out here. And you know, that that rings through. It's a consistent piece. And, you know, we we all had like I'm I'm 39, right? And I I remember, you know, some of the, these two things, right? I remember doing that comparison thing. Like LeBron James is like a month older than me, so I was like always tracking. Like, all right, where you at, bro? Do I have my version of that in my minuscule lane? But also, being in high school, having sort of this entrepreneurial mindset, I was in there like with the duffel bag, right, with the wild duffel bag, like undercutting, like you know, our our snacks, like undercutting the cafeteria, like yeah, I'm selling these two for three, and. It, it was wild and also i was rapping I, I was i was rapping at the time and it was a creative outlet for me and you know i've talked about on, on this podcast kind of having different creative lives that, that's the way i'll put it like early on you know just wanting to draw all of the stuff and there was a little bit of the graffiti style in there because of the h and then you know got to a point where i was like, nah, I don't know if drawing's going to work because, you know, I got that rejection thing. And it was just like, oh. So I was like, oh, let me start writing. It was poetry and short stories and then rapping, which was, that's an era. That is an era. I used to wear nothing but Mecca. And that, I I was a wild dude. And the cornrows were not good. The cornrows I had at the time were not good.
1: They were very thick. At least Mecca was a good fashion choice.
0: True. I I had this, uh, the one pair of jeans that had like the full paragraph on one of the back pockets. And girls used to always look at my butt and like, yo, what's on your ass? It's like, life, you know? And uh, and for the last 15 years, this has been my creative outlet, kind of interacting with folks, um, you know, whether doing like a podcast on my own for about 10 years, and then doing sort of this, and I always affectionately call it, I, I talk with people more interested than I am. That, that's what this is, you know? So you know, that's sort of that, that, that trajectory, but I, I guess I can, it's safe to assume, right. Cause you're, you're a technology guy that you always have the new iPhone. You always get that new gadget on you.
1: Always got the new gadget, you know, right now. um, So I got a little tired of the iPhone, you know, I switched over to Android, which, you know, you either love it or hate it. But right now I've got the, uh, Motorola oh, got Razor flip, Nice. you know, love it. And in fact, right now, so far, you know, it's, it's the best phone that that I've ever had, you know, and I'll give uh, Motorola props for, for, you know, really designing a great phone because I was a Motorola user. I mean, I had pagers, I had all, all those things. And even in my early days of cell phones, most of my phones going back to 91, 92 were Motorola's. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously more competitors started popping up, Motorola really fell out uh you know because they just you know they were making blackberries and all these other things that that didn't uh uh didn't stand the test of time sure. so when I saw that they had put out this new Motorola razor I had the original razor flip phone that was you know uh you know clam phone and I loved it I loved I just loved all the, the whole entire aesthetic of it yeah. so when I did my comparison about flip phones, I settled on this and, you know, I I like, I have a love hate relationship with Google and I was going to get the Google one that opens up, you know, into a mini notebook, but I started saying to myself, you know, I'm trying to go smaller, not bigger. I got tired of having these big ass phones in my pocket. You know, you sit down and they're jamming your hip or you got to take them out. You can't really put them in your back pocket. You know, the phones have just gotten a little too clunky. So when I saw this one, you know, that actually, opened up into uh a larger size screen um uh, but still folded flat i i was hooked and then you know the screen the springs everything about it it's just it's the best foldable on the market if you ask me now but other people will argue with me about that but
0: i mean i'll i'll say this you know before i move into this this next question um so i i gotta say it you know i want you know if the razor kind of coming back because like you said you had the original joint and now you have this one I want that brick phone to come back. I want that Nokia, that Thor's hammer joint to come back, not for communication, for other things.
1: <laughs> yeah, if I knew you were going to talk about it, I would have brought my my original phone. You know, I still have my first cell phone, Yo. you know, I have it framed in a, in a, like a, a case where I keep kind of all of my, my important artifacts to me uh, that I've collected over the years, mostly technology pieces. So, you know, my first two-way pager, my first brick phone, Uh, My first T-Mobile sidekick, you know, my first um, uh, Palm Pilot. People forget about Palm Pilots, you know, where you had these things that you could write on and save them. I mean, I had all those things, you know, and they were all useful for me to be productive. I mm-hmm. didn't just have them, you know, like when I saw them, what really ensnared me into getting these things was not just a, a, a cool factor, it was, you know, always, I can be one step ahead of my competition if I use this technology the right way, you know?
0: That's that's great, that's great. So in, in, in shifting a little bit, it kind of, I, I teased it a little bit earlier, so considering that like last year it was um, hip hop's 50th birthday, 50th anniversary, whatever the nomenclature was. And um, and it, it was cool. We had this really dope exhibit as a lot of places did. Um, and, you know, all hip hop is in that vein, Like it's part of is part of the journalistic side of it. And it's 25, 26 years old going to this year. So give us the sort of rundown. Like, how did it start? and What was the initial thinking like of the platform? Like set that stage for us.
1: Yeah, you know, the initial thinking was, I thought it was gonna be a record label. I was running a record label out here, of an out of an office in, in Main Street, on Main Street in Delaware, near the University of Delaware's campus. It didn't do what I wanted it to do. I fell behind on all my bills. You know, I was paying to manufacture records and tapes at the time, and then sending those off to distributors for them to resell them. And even if they resold them, it would take them, 90 days 120 days for me to get paid and unfortunately you know i was only 22 at the time so i didn't really have business experience to really understand the concept of billing and receivables and what you might need you know to float your business in those sometimes up to six months of waiting to get you know your your invoices paid so i shifted over to the internet because we were selling our tapes, we were selling our music, we were selling. There was a website, mp3.com. You know, I had figured out a uh, a way to bundle my MP3s and accept people's credit cards if they wanted to buy our MP3 and then download it behind a paywall. I was doing all that in '96, and um, you know, I realized, you know, hey, the record label name I had, which was ObliqueRecordings.com just wasn't memorable enough Mm -hmm. so i registered a bunch of domain names and all hip-hop was one of them so if you look at the early the 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 releases that we put out sorry if you look at the releases that we put out in late 98 uh they have there's 12 inches out there that have all hip-hop.com on them you know because i thought we were going to compete with raucous records or you know somebody like that and I noticed how much traffic was coming to the website. And so my part, my current business partner, Chuck Creekmer in all hip hop, we go back to high school. Yeah. So he was already like a, a, a mover and a shaker around Delaware as well. He had a radio show at night uh, at University of Delaware that was probably the most important uh, radio show for underground hip hop really in the state. Like it was the only place that you could hear new stuff and get also get your music played. But we were really good friends and I'm friends with his younger brother, like me and his younger brother were were best friends in high school. He was best friends with my sister in high school. So we were already connected. And so, uh, you know, I had I had always asked him to help me with graphic design of my projects. So designing flyers for all hip hop, designing stickers And, you know, he was also doing an online magazine called Tantrum, uh, Tantrum Mag, Tantrum Magazine. And, you know, he was he majored in journalism. So he was already, uh, you know, out and trying to, you know, crack the pen game, you know, the same way I was trying to crack the music business game. And so, you know, at some point we just realized, you know what? if we put our collective ideas and power together, we will have something really powerful. And so I pivoted from doing the record label to doing all hip hop. Um, And, you know, I had already set up all hip hop with news and features and all of these things that just weren't really getting filled. You know what I mean? Um, And then when we got together, because of his journalism background, it started getting filled. And, you know, we just, we shook hands in 97 and pow, here we are today, 25 years later.
0: That is, that is dope. And it it speaks to the collaborative nature of just one filling, filling, identifying sort of a lack and, and filling it. And sort of this interview is going to be a part of this, this month of interviews that is is focused on sort of. Black folk in media. That's just what I'm calling it. And it, it, it has that that vein. And I just love hearing those those stories because I'm a black folk. I'm in media. And it it is sort of the grind and figuring it out. And sometimes it could be a lonely road, but also figuring out like kind of getting into a spot. You know in a lane before it actually is formed into a full lane like everybody wants to jump on when you see like the lines there you got the white lines and the yellow lines and all of that everything looks great the road is plowed but when you're making sort of your own thing and you have someone that has complementary skills that hey we can do this that's what i'm hearing there and it's a nearly if we're being real about it nearly a three-decade partnership
1: Definitely. And 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 you know, we always talk about that of how rare it is for two people of any race in any business to stay together this long and run a business together this long. And I have to be honest, you know, I have so much respect for my partner, you know, that we we very rarely have had any serious dust ups. I mean, we may have had one or two, you know, over the course of this whole 25-year thing, and even those were not serious enough that they would ever threaten the partnership or the bond that we have. And, you know, I, I, you know, always give him his props because, you know, he is a genius. You know what I mean? With the journalism, the pen game, the way he thinks, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And, um, you know, the quickest pathway to success is with other people. And so, you know, I realized right away, you know, this guy has what it takes, you know, and he's gonna have the same drive and energy as me. Yeah. And, you know, for the past 25 years, both of us have woke uh, awakened with the same mission every day. And we never stop. We never give up, no matter how, I mean, we've had tough times. You know, this hasn't been a, a you know, a cakewalk as they like to say, or all roses and glory. You yeah. know, there've been many difficult months, days, months, Days, weeks, months, years, you know, and, um, you know, we just keep going.
0: And and definitely there's a there's a question that keys in on on a piece of that, I think, uh, a little bit later. But in in terms of the success component, right, what is that? That breakthrough moment that that comes to mind, whether it be it was a feature, whether it was a story, but something that was like, okay, this is huge for us. This is the thing. Like, um, I, people ask me when I do this. I'm 700 episodes in in four years, right? Right. Wow.
1: Congrats, man. That's huge. Thank sure. <laughs> you. You know, I, I, let me say this real yeah. quick. I. I was podcasting before podcasting was podcasting. (laughs) I I started my first podcast in 2005 and I just didn't, I just didn't keep with it. You know what I mean? I did, I did 20 episodes of a show called rare soul and it was all about the history of black music. And I still have the website. I'm going to relaunch it this year and all that stuff. But anyway, I just always like to throw it out there that, yeah, I was in on podcasting early too, but 700 episodes, you know, that's, that's another level.
0: And, and and the thing is, is I'm always on this sort of wave of like, I'm about six months ahead. Like you're 20, 30 years ahead of people on things, you know, from what I'm hearing. Me, I'm like six, maybe nine months ahead of where it's the Gretzky thing, where the puck is going, not going where it's already at. And, you know, in it, you know, people ask me, what are those touch tones? What are those points within all of those interviews? that are milestone moments what was a big interview for you and i have different ones for different reasons so as far as all hip-hop goes what comes to mind for you that this was huge in, in in the journey of where we're at now this was a big story this was a big traffic getter this was a breakthrough
1: so there's two inflection points yeah the first one is we developed and you can go as far back as you want we were the first brand in entertainment to send out wireless news to people's phones, their pagers, their two ways. Nobody else was doing it, it was unheard of. We started doing it in late 98, early 99. And that was really a force multiplier for the brand. You know, every rapper wanted to be on it. A bunch of DJs emptied out their two way, you know, lists for me. And that led us to have just say Funk Flex, Angie Martinez, radio people on it. They started reading the news that we were delivering right to their hip on the air. Yeah, And that, you know, helped grow the audience. And then it just snowballed, you know, to the point where, you know, everybody in the business recognizes how influential these wireless messages were, whether it's a seasoned music executive like Lior Cohen or Russell Simmons or Diddy to, you know, people like I mentioned, like Funk Flex or, you know, uh, the people that were on the airwaves and how that helped them curate. Uh, news for their shows when they went on the air. So that was a big deal, but ironically enough, one of the biggest stories that we broke was the murder of Jam Master Jay. Hmm. You know, we we broke that when it happened in October, October 30th of 2002. And, you know, in the subsequent months and years, it was a story that we never deviated from. I had sources within his camp and people who were in the studio who gave me all of the information on why this death happened, who did it, how it happened. And we started publishing that in 2002 and 2003, that Jay was dealing drugs, unfortunately, because he wasn't making the same kind of money he needed for Run DMC. We talked about who his suppliers were in Baltimore and named them. We even named the amount of kilos of cocaine that he was buying and dealing. And we named two the possible shooters were at risk of possible defamation or other kinds of retribution. And we followed this narrative for 20 years and holy smokes, in August of 2020, they charged the two guys, they named the amount of cocaine, everything. And now that the trial's going on right now, everything that we published Mm -hmm. is vindicated there's no way that they did not look at our website to start forming the basis of their case and you know call it whatever you want but you know i was lucky enough and so was my partner chuck jigsaw you know we met all of run dmc we know run we know d we got to take pictures with all three of them and you know that's like meeting the beatles of hip-hop You know, so having Jay pass away in such an unsavory manner didn't sit well. And the fact that his killer and his those accomplices were walking around never sat well. So we interviewed everybody. I interviewed his mom before she passed. I interviewed his brother. I interviewed people in the studio. I interviewed the hip hop cop who just testified. I interviewed everyone. And of course, you know, they make Netflix documentaries off this and those guys, win emmys and no disrespect to those guys i know them all and some both both of the producers of those documentaries are friends of mine in the business but they don't give the proper credit to the source that actually you know was the first to break this this story and how it happened and why it happened and you know it's one of those stories where yes if anybody wants to argue or try to double down on who should be taking credit for that? Mm. There's nobody else in the world but all hip hop that that followed the Jam Master J story and broke it and was right. I mean, they the, the judge, the, the, the honorable judge, D.R.C. Hall, she even cites us, you know, going up to leading up to the trial. She passed out copies of all hip hop and the things that we were printing going up to the trial. You know, to prosecutors in the defense, because we 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 broke the story that there was going to be a third shooter involved, a third person they were going to be trying. And boom, there they go. You know, a that's, month later, a third person is charged. And that, so that, that's one of those stories that defined us. But there were a lot, you know. The guy who shot Tupac at the quad studio in uh 96 before Pac passed away, or 95, no, 94, excuse me, before Pac passed away. He admitted that to us and you know apologized to his mother and um Big's mom and uh you know, we've the Jimmy Henchman saga with 50 and G Unit. We were involved in all of those types of things. Um, But it was more than that, too. You know, it's not just all the crime stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but that really was crime is really one of those beats that early on we were following. But it's other things, too. Like when Russell Simmons sold Fat Farm, he came to us to break the news. Mm -hmm. You know, Diddy did some of his early deals. He would come to us to break the news because he respected us as black owned media outlets, you know, a, a black owned media outlet.
0: Yeah, and and, that, and and thank you because that's it's a good segue for this sort of next question, and and, and I saw I saw one of these interviews. Uh, I know it was you and and Jigsaw on the I think it was Sway's joint, and he was speaking on sort of like the 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 reputation, right? So, you know, they they're all they're these offers, right? You get these these things in the background, those weird DMs, those odd emails, these weird offers where. It's like, hey, you're this black outlet. You have sort of these different touch points and these different, you can reach folks that they may want to talk to, but they need to use you to get there. And I run into it in, in sort of my my spot or what have you, but still the credit is weird. Sort of how that conversation happens is weird. But the platform you know your platform my platform to to a lesser degree has this purity has this sort of like reputation and that's actually what keeps, keeps those connections there, keeps you even from the longest time, as you were you know describing, sort of having the ear of these executives, having the ear of these folks that are in the scene to be able to help break and be an evangelist for what the aim is. So, you know, how do you keep, you know, all hip hop pure and reputable, you know, in that while, while growing and seeing like folks that look like me and you taking these deals that look really weird sometimes?
1: Well, you know, I never knock anybody else's hustle. You know, everybody has their own thing. So, you know, hey, if if getting to the bag, quote unquote, if you get to the bag, I, I, I don't knock it. You know what I mean? But for us, you know, we were born out of journalism and journalism ethics. You know what I mean? We weren't born on social media or we weren't born even though we we created urban the urban landscape for rumors and gossip on the internet we we laid that blueprint and you know uh same thing with daily news we laid the blueprint we laid these foundations for black entertainment on the internet period end of story and we oh we even when we were doing gossip or things that may have been salacious, they were still rooted in journalism. True. That hey, if you wanted to call us out on it or say we were wrong, we could pull the receipts. You know, so we've never we've never been the brand that is rooted in um, anything but real journalism. And also, what's also important to us is the integrity. We're not here to tear down artists. We're not here. To beef with artists that's not our position that's not the place we play other people can gladly occupy that space we're here to work with the artists we're here to develop the artist we're here to tell the artist's story now when things happen we cover it you know no matter what it is good bad and different we cover it but we don't step into the situation with the concept of being salacious Mm -hmm. for views, you know we are after the reader that's looking to you know gain some insight and some clarity and that is into hip-hop and you know there's this argument about whether hip-hop is dying or whether it's not and you know it's not there's there's plenty of purists all around the world um and you know sometimes that does get drowned out by the 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 clanging and clatter uh uh, chatter of social media but it's still here, it still exists. So, you know, what really makes us different is, again, my partner's background is in journalism. That's that's where it comes from. And yeah. so that's what we live by, that's what we abide by. And, you know, that's that's what all hip hop is first and foremost. You know, we wanna be something that is important to the culture of hip hop. And yes, we've had offers from everybody to buy us. I mean, just last year I had, you know, three, four, buyout offers because after the death of George Floyd, everybody is, you know, trying to um, have some sort of involvement with black media because of the amount of money that was committed by, you know, big advertisers, which most of it is yet to materialize. But in any case, there's a number of plays going on where people want to own black media so they can get to scale, so they can get to bigger dollars. And, you know, just not the, the right offer hasn't come along for us,
0: yeah, and and thank you for that, because again, you know it is this thing where you know i I don't try to knock anyone going after their thing, but you know i look at I look at it from the standpoint of if I'm a stakeholder and I'm a fan of what one is doing, you know i'm I'm kind of I- expecting a certain thing and being you know sort of in media and in journalism, you know to to the degree in which I am. You know, i pay I have to pay attention a bit more. You know what I mean? And I, I remember it was this push, you know, from from a major outlet that might be owned by a larger company. and um they they made this this push that they were kind of getting rid of most of their talent and then bringing in and having this shift towards this personality oriented thing. And then I go on there, like I'm sure everyone that's a sports fan does uh, every day looking at the scores, looking at the stats, reading the stories. I'm seeing so many things that are obviously written by AI, obviously because I work in it, you know, and I'm, I'm using ChatGPT. GPT. I'm doing that. Um, and, or they're just factually incorrect. Like I put it this way. I'm a huge Rocky four fan, right? That is a movie that came out the year I was born. I did a holiday like movie I night. I'll break you. You. Exactly. If he dies, he dies. And with it, we 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 had Carl Weather's pass recently, and I'm reading over the thing. They had something just factually just super inaccurate. It's like, yeah, you know, from Rocky 4 from 1984. I was like, that was nearly 86 when that movie came out. So I was like, you gotta be able to go through it, and I get it. It's sort of this push to be first, and that's the thing. And then you have the AI, then you have just people just looking for the sort of the clickish things. And I see outlets who They're not neutral. I try to be neutral with it and just like, here's the information. So for you, for all hip hop, what are those considerations that come to mind? What is good journalism, specifically when it comes to hip hop journalism, hip hop related journalism?
1: You nailed it, man. Being factually correct. You know, um, you know, there have been plenty of times where we have a story and we're ready to go because we know maybe the one source that's telling us is right and trustworthy, but it needs to be verified and we we can't be the first one to go and be wrong. I mean, it's just that simple, you know, and there have been times where we where we've held back. There have been other times where we know our source is so correct and so right that we go, you know. So it it really is, you know, having an understanding of um, of being able to trust your sources, you know, and and you know in the in the instance of breaking news specifically, being able to trust your sources. Outside of that on every other story, I mean we nail and we we nail down and drill down on everything. Months, dates, years, you know, we make sure that those things are fact checked before they go up. We have an editor who does those things. Um and you know, I mean, we're not perfect. There are times where we have been wrong uh, on a date or a month or misspelled a name. But we try to go back and fix those things when they're called out. And the audience will call you out when you're wrong about things. And so, you know, we're not too proud to say, you know what, we better go back in and fix this. Because the the goal is for us, we look at ourselves as chronicler, chronicling hip hop history as well every day. And so we want an- another generation when they go back and they want to untangle what happened in hip hop in March of, you know, 2007, yeah. we want that to be right. We want it to be historically and factually accurate. Yeah. So we've always had a, a a focus on making sure that those things are right. And, you know, there've been times where we, you know, pulled the trigger, so to speak, on a story because we knew we had to go. We were first, breaking news, and there have been times where we said, "You know what? Ah, we need to get a little more confirmation on this before we go, and we hold back. And if somebody breaks it before us, they break it before us." I,
0: I've I've done that a few times with having folks. The nature of this is is, is conversational, right? And then you have some folks who they they have a take. They have a position on a thing that it's like, I don't, I don't know if that really fits what I'm what I'm aiming for. And I'm a bit apprehensive to, to run it. And, you know, I, I've taken enough free speech courses, I've taken enough like English courses. And, you know, being around journalism, I have a degree in it, I have a business degree. Um, but You know, there there are certain things like if you have someone that's a plagiarist, it's not a good thing. If you have to do a retraction, I remember that was a huge deal like on like nighttime news. If you're like, hey, we put this story out at five o'clock and at seven we had to do a retraction. It's not a good look. So I, I think that those are considerations that have to be there. But getting it right and being able to, hey, I screwed that up let me fix that because it is, it, it's an archival asset. Like, and even in, in doing this, like I'm covering a certain time, a certain community and doing a, you know, with a, within a certain framework, guiding a conversation in a way that it's evergreen. You know, people can go back to it. Like, let me listen to, to grouchy Greg on this joint. Let me listen to him here. Like, Oh, okay, cool. It's consistent. As I said you know, going through and preparing, I was going through interviews. I was like, all right, this guy's changing. I don't know what's up. He looks different. <laughs> but um, so I got I got two more real questions. I got a few rapid fire questions I've been adding as we've been talking, because you know, I like to like to have you on a hot seat. All right. So this is sort of this, this, this penultimate question. I, I think as time passes, um, we get clarity, right? Um, for me, you know, one point in this this sort of four years of doing this podcast, I did over 300 episodes in a year. This is, this is a part-time project a passion, you know? And, you know, I had this belief that I got to do more to feel like I'm worthy because we get this comparison thing. We get this, we get that. Uh, Could you share for you, like, one or two things that you had to accept to be better at what you do? Like, I had to realize, like, I don't need to do that much. I I can do this in this way. Have fun with it again versus being overly professional about it, overly refined. Like, have those... You know those those uh, those rough edges in there. Everything doesn't have to be smooth and, smooth and polished. I had to learn those things. So for you, what what does that look like that you had to learn and you had to accept to be better for you as an individual, but also for for all hip hop?
1: Yeah, well, a few things. You know, I've, I'm I'm big on these quotes from a book called The Art of Worldly Wisdom. The Art of Worldly Wisdom is basically the genesis for the Forty Eight Laws of Power. Every one of the 48 laws of power come from the art of worldly wisdom, which, you know, uh, has um, 300 of these maxims. You know what I mean? And has 300 of these maxims. And uh, one of those maxims is, he who's all in all carried all with him when he carried himself. (laughs) So it means you... You can't rely on anyone else. You have to kind of accept that you are going to be the person that is going to be responsible for everything. That doesn't mean you don't have partners who aren't responsible, but it means that you need to accept your responsibility for what you are doing. You know, and you that means understanding. You may know a lot, but you don't know everything. So it's constantly learning. So some of the things I learned very quick was there are people out here who are way more talented than I am, and I don't need to compare myself to them. I have my own unique skill set. I have I'm, I'm a unique person, I'm a unique individual. And so you know I I did go through a phase where comparing myself to people, especially at the beginning of social media, everybody looks so great online and everybody's doing something so cool and you know those can lead to you know real real image issues issues with yourself. And so you know, I learned early on um, you know that I'm not perfect. I need to accept that I'm human and that I make mistakes and if I make a mistake try to correct it and you know go back to the drawing board but I'm very big on self improvement and and self knowledge and gaining knowledge I mean you know I listen to music but I listen to more things that are good for my mind more than anything else inspirational speakers you know podcasts on advertising and ad tech things that actually make a difference in how i make my my living um so you know those are the types of things another thing is is you know i'm never ashamed to speak with this about this i have some partnerships that i'll be announcing soon probably premature to talk about now but accepting that hey man you can't become an alcoholic in, in doing this business in this business in my position everything is free liquor drugs designer drugs it all is there for you to take and do and there were definite times where i overindulged in these things and you know i'm proud to say i've been sober for two and a half years no drinking no smoking no anything but that is that that is something very big about myself you know that i had to accept my father's an alcoholic All of my family is, you know, have have issues with addiction. And so, you know, accepting that and making sure that I do not go down that pathway because it would be very easy for me to do. You know, I just came back from the Grammys and everything that I did for the most part was during the day. And even during the day, there were things that were open bar. But I deliberately went back to my hotel room at night after our event. because I I didn't want to have to deal with the temptation of yeah. drinking alcohol specifically. Now I know I'm strong enough, and I wouldn't have drank. But in all honesty, it's like, hey, I did everything that I needed to do, and I was very productive during the week. There's no need for me to be hanging out till one thirty in the morning, two in the morning.
0: Yeah. No, th- thank you. That's it's very um, vulnerable, very open, and uh, you know, you know, I, I've done this thing over the last six months where I've been doing this weight cutting thing and all of that. And it's just certain things. It's just, you, you see it. I don't like being, I don't like being rolled. I don't like feeling like, Hey, I got a bill of goods. It's like, yeah, man, go out, man, live the lifestyle. I was like, nah, gee, I'm all set. And I just having this sort of regimented thing. And for, for a bit, I felt like, yo, I'm unfun. I don't like this, but that's something external telling me that. And I was like, what I am doing is this, and not having anything that it's a, a sort of reasoning or a cause anything health related. It's just like I'm making this sort of choice and seeing where it goes. And there's, there are certain things where I don't knock folks when they have like, yo, I am addicted to soda, bro. I can't get past it. I, it's just certain things that I'm, I'm just not into. But I think your point around, I don't need to be out here doing this because it's just there. It's just around. And. You know, folks go through like I, you know, my birthday was a few weeks ago. Folks like, hey, man, let's go out and get, you know, cake. I remember one year I had five people take me out and we just got like sugary nonsense. I'm like, yo, I could do one of these. I can't do all five now. I appreciate it. But, you know, just being around, I'm going to get a couple cookies. I know I'm going to. So I need to limit my exposure to it.
1: Now, when you take into account things like alcohol, which, you know, I'm not saying that's any worse or. Yeah worse than what you're eating because who knows what your family history is maybe it's diabetes where sugary things lead can lead to real problems like having your limbs amputated you know so these are things in our community that we have to take serious especially in the black community and knowing that both sides of my family my mom's side and my dad's side suffered from serious addiction with alcohol and drugs you know it's something that i have to take deathly serious. And I went through a phase where I thought, oh, I'm not gonna be fun anymore because I'm not drinking. But you know what? I got to a point where I wasn't fun when I was drinking. You know, alcohol is a depressant. So the more you drink, you know, it's, it's, it's tried, true, and tested. You're eventually gonna fall into some sort of depression. And <laughs> there's no fun in that. And you know, I just got to a point where I was like, you know what, I've got two young children, I wanna live long enough to see them graduate college and see them off into the world as young, successful men. And I'm not gonna be able to do that with this type of lifestyle, number one. And number two, my body is not made of steel. And even steel, over the course of time, rusts Mm -hmm. and decomposes. So imagine how much faster your internal organs, which are made of flesh, these things Right. your are That's what they do. You know. And, you know, so I just said, you know what, man, I, I just you know, I have no shame in it. I have no shame in my testimony and telling people. And if I can help people specifically in the music business, understand that you don't have to be drunk and high to participate in this business. I do go out to clubs at night and I do go out and, and hang out at certain events. There's just no drinking or smoking involved in it you know what i mean and and it's still just as fun a lot of times you look back and realize the most fun of your journey is the journey itself not the drinking and the smoking it's having your goals set up the thrill of accomplishing your goals and the things that you've set out to do when you say you know what i'm going to do this i'm going to hit this goal it could be a financial goal it could be a personal goal it could be a fitness or weight loss goal any of those things but the thrill is in hitting the benchmarks and the goals
0: yeah. So I got I got the one last real question and
1: then we have to talk about Delaware.
0: We we do. We gotta talk about Delaware a bit too. Um I, I, I like to get sort of the full story, right? From folks. And often I think when we go through, you know, like we we look at our biopic, right? As like this is a two-hour movie. And it's like, yeah, it's really four. You left out all of that stuff when you was like mid for like 20 years or whatever the thing was. So, you know, talk talk a bit about some of those like the 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 negatives, but negatives in this way, like we have our positive, we talk about our wins, but sometimes rejection. I think that's an often it's often a thing for folks that is deemed as a as a negative as a challenge. But I think because I'm on the petty awards, I, I'm I'm there. Like when someone rejects me and then he suddenly come back around. Oh, please believe. I'm like, yeah, tell me more. Why you didn't like me now? Now you now you're messing with me. It's like I'm Mike Jones right now. So can you speak on the positives of rejection, like? or sort of not that full acceptance? Like, speak on that a bit.
1: Yeah, you know, when we were getting started, I mean, we were rejected by everybody and everything. People thought the internet was for nerds, you know, (laughs) there there was still a magazine ecosystem, you know, um, and you know, honestly, uh, um, throughout our 25 year career, I would safe to say, I think it's safe to say that we are a bit of an outlier to the music industry because we are fiercely independent. Nobody owns us, nobody controls us, you know, and, you know, while that's good in many aspects, there are some negative aspects to that but the concept of rejection whether it's being rejected by somebody you love or um being rejected in business you know rejection i and i know the audience hears this all the time probably but rejection is something that you should practice with rejection is something that you should use to build strength and character it's not something that you should necessarily take personal. It, 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 and and you should be looking for the lessons in the rejection. Why were you rejected? Could you have approached things different? Could you have done things different? You know, you really have to have a, um, a, uh, 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 you have to be able to uh, uh, ref, self reflection. One of my favorite things again, from this book is, there are mirrors for the face, but there are none for the mind. You can't, there's no mirror to look in at yourself in, in, in its mind, in your mind, you know, so you have to be cognizant of that and you have to constantly be self-aware. And so rejection becomes less painful, you know, now, I mean, listen, I've been in relationships that have failed. I've been in relationships where, you know, I was supposed to get married and I was engaged and it, imploded, you know, Um, sometimes I blamed it on all hip hop and saying it's because I'm in this big business. But at the end of the day, those things failed because of my, you know, my my ina- inadequacies, drinking, and smoking, and hanging out late. Not, You know, I could have done things different is the point. And that that's true for mostly everything. So, you know, I mean, I look at rejection much different now, obviously, Um, because I'm a bit more seasoned, but for all of the young people that are listening, you need to learn to accept rejection. And then rejection doesn't feel so much like rejection as much as it feels like a a tool for you to learn how to do something different and find the lesson so that you can become a better person or a better businessman or woman, um, or, you know, uh, you know, whatever you identify as.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's great. That's a great spot for us to kind of wrap the, the real, real questions on. And I, I, I like to look at it like, like this. Uh, I use the, the, the I watched old Kung Fu movies, right? And it's like, yeah, you know, I couldn't take those kicks. Now I can take those kicks, those kicks of rejection. It's like, I'm blocking that now. Oh, okay. You got a little bit more steam on well, it. Ain't much, you know, I'm blocking that. Um, you know, flipping your head again. All right. So, I got a few, and I, and I definitely want to uh, key in on um, the first state as well through the lens of arts, culture, and community. Um, but uh, here's, the, here's the first one, these rapid fire questions. Um, I like to give these to folks because it's usually something that either I'm super curious about, something I saw maybe in the research or something that stood out in the conversation earlier. Um, so the first one I got for you, and don't overthink these, You know, like whatever your answer is, it's like, that's your answer. The, you know. What was the first record you owned?
1: The first record I owned that was my own, that I bought with my own money, was The Drifters, I'll Take You Where the Music's Playing. Yeah. One of the best albums by The Drifters came out on Atlantic Records. Atlantic Records was a, and still is, uh, but was a historic label for black and jazz artists. But that was the first full uh, you know, record that I bought on my own. And I still listen to it probably once a month to this day. I mean, everything on it is great. That's dope
0: um i didn't buy my my first one but this is this is actually kind of funny um the the first record that was mine it was a birthday present so technically it's kind of like money that's being you know adults i was 13 uh it was um what is it uh wu-tang forever and that's when my dad's like saw this whining and i was like i right, did cool i'm gonna keep listening to this
1: though oh wow. god
0: is on odb fantastic
1: I was riding around in my little Jeep when that album came out, bumping it, you know, big rims on my car and all that. I mean, I just say that to say, like, gag, you're making me feel old. <laughs> nah.
0: um, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Uh, so, yeah, yeah Grouchy Greg, that's that's the name. Do you have a favorite Sesame Street character? That's a ridiculous question, I know.
1: I mean, I, I did like Oscar the Grouch. Okay. I, I do think he's the funniest character, but I didn't name myself after any Sesame Street characters, but you know, I'm, I'm, I, I always took to him. I love trash, his songs, his attitude, his nasty attitude, stuff like that, because he was nasty, but he was also like a funny, a funny guy, you know?
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and because we are recording this you're, you're, you're enjoying something I'm jealous about. And I need to confirm which one it is. Coffee or tea?
1: Coffee all day. I don't drink it all day. I'm saying coffee over tea all day. Absolutely
0: i i've been on this uh cortado kick you know do like you know that joint is like i got like i do like two of them before noon and then by the afternoon it's just like all right i gotta switch to green tea i can't just be out here because my my partner she'll be like yo you just drink like you're starting off with like a black eye like what why are you just 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 espresso that's just what you do i was like i do mind you mind your business um Okay, this is this is the last sort of rapid fire one, and I think this is a ridiculous word, uh, well, ridiculous ridiculous question. What is a word that you absolutely just hate hearing? You're like, I I don't, I don't write that. I don't like hearing that word. Some people don't like the word moist, you know.
1: I don't know. You know, I never really thought about that. I, there's not too many words that you know when I hear them I hate. I, you know,
0: <laughs> it's, it's it's an odd question. It's an odd question. But people have those- no <laughs> <laughs> no. That's, that's a short one. I, I like it. I don't like yes. It's like ah, mm, yes, gonna cost you. You know that whole <laughs> thing. Um, so so tell us a bit. You know, for the folks, because you know, you know, as, as I was touching on earlier, um, before we got into like the the main crux of the conversation, like the the, the sort of pre chat, talk a bit about like the first state about Delaware. You're you're up there, so like talk a bit about like the arts and culture there, because you know. That is I've been curious about it. Like I was, you know, telling you before we got started, I was doing these interviews in Philly, and obviously I'm taking a train up and I have gotta go through Delaware and it's a neighbor. So all I know is like Biden, that's it. Tell
1: me, tell me about Delaware. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot going on here. To start off, obviously Biden, Senator Chris Coons is uh introducing an act for artists called the No Fakes Act. I just interviewed him, it's on online. You can Google Chris Coons, Grouchy Greg, but it's, you know, he's proposing a new piece of intellectual property to protect your voice. So Hmm. you can license your voice out the same way you may license out your image. Hmm. I say that to say from the top down, there's a very vibrant arts scene here. You know, people think that we're on the moon, but as you notice, we're in between Baltimore and Philadelphia and we're very influenced by these two cities. And, you know, the creative economy is here. It drives over a billion dollars worth of revenue into the economy. I'm on the State Council for the Arts. So I get to see, you know, all of the different types of arts, whether it's fashion, you know, painting, music, um, poetry, I mean, anything related to the arts, you know, I'm pretty much involved in in some way, shape or form. And it's great here. I mean, there's no sales tax, you know, um, the property value is very good and, Let me give you a little gem here. So when people think of Delaware, they obviously don't normally think of the entertainment industry, but the entertainment industry was born from Delaware, the entire entertainment industry. So if you go back to the 1890s, Camden, New Jersey was the center of the entertainment business. That's where all of the first record players were were made. Emil e- e- Berliner Berliner had the gramophone. Edison made his 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 gramophone. There was another gentleman who spun off of the um, Ber- Berliners company. His name was Eldridge Johnson, and he invented he he created the Victor Talking Machine Company. The Victor Talking Machine Company made Victrolas. Mm. Victrolas ended up, the Victrola, the Victor talking machine, was, was bought by the Radio Corporation of America and they merged. He got $40 million, which is equivalent to $650 million in today's money. Yeah. And that became RCA. RCA eventually became the record label. Yeah. And that's how you got RCA Records, RCA Victor, the Deluxe label. I mean, Ray Charles was on RCA. Um, You know, uh, Elvis Presley was on RCA. I mean, you know, any number of people were on RCA, but the founder of that company was from right here in Delaware. And so I always like to tell people, you know, this is not history that's well known, even though we have a museum dedicated to him down here, uh, the entertainment industry, the roots of it were here. And so we can be in New York in an hour and a half by train, Two hours by car. We can be in D.C. as far down as D.C. in an hour and a half by train I, or or car. You know, I used to run into Biden on the train all the time before he was president, you know. So Delaware has a very vibrant arts scene. I encourage all of my fellows, uh, uh, Baltimorean, Baltimore, what, Baltimore, whatever y'all are,
0: Baltimoreans,
1: we out here come up because you know i love baltimore i mean i I spent a lot of time in baltimore because my lawyers office offices are on calvert street down there so you know i'm you know i spent a lot of time down there even before i had all hip-hop i I was a regular at clubs like Hammerjacks when they were open you know what i mean so baltimore is a hop skip and a jump from delaware and you know delaware has a lot of historical roots you know we're the first state to incorporate in the, the nation into the United States, that's why we're called the first state. We're the last state to abolish slavery, you know. So there's that. The <laughs> northern part of the state had a lot of famous abolitionists who supported, you know, Frederick Douglass and um, Harriet Tubman. They were all here in this state at some point or another. And then the lower portion of the state owned slaves, yeah. you know. So it's a very interesting state. And then to top it all off, y'all know this. We got the beaches here because that's where everybody comes. We've got right. Rehoboth Beach, Ocean City, Maryland is, you know, right at the line. So, you know, I mean, this is a great state. In the summertime, the beaches are popping. You know, it's a great thing to do to do with your family. And then up, you have up here where it's, you know, a little more city, maybe not as big of a city as Baltimore. But, you know, there's city life and a nightlife scene here. And then you can go up to Philly if you want to do something or down to Baltimore if you want to experience, you know, a bigger city. So, you know, I love Delaware, man. And being on the State Arts Council has really afforded me the opportunity to just see how vibrant this this scene is and how many movers and shakers are here. I mean, I'm not going to name drop people, but I'm telling you, there are a lot of famous people that live here in Delaware. I'm talking about top-notch A-list people. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's been times, I'll say this because it's no big deal. I won't call anybody in the hip-hop industry out who's here, but there's been times I've been at the beach and run into Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) on the boardwalk just walking around wow that's true stories so it's a it's a great place to be and like i said i'm always trying to encourage the artists here to collaborate more with the rappers in baltimore and the rappers in philadelphia and you know I always try to tell people, you know, I know we talk about the DMV, y'all like to call it DC, Maryland, and Virginia, but Del Marva is what it really stands for. It's the peninsula, yeah. Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia. DMV, Del Marva. Everybody who listens from you down there is gonna be up in arms and I said it, but it's not <laughs> DC, it's Delaware. And yeah. so I just always encourage, you know, there should be this real collaboration from an industry standpoint and from an artistic standpoint amongst this great peninsula that we live on. That's
0: that's that's a great way to to close out. And definitely uh, we'll, we'll we'll be talking. We'll be talking because I got some ideas. Um, but um, in that one. Two things i want to do one i want to thank you so much for coming on being a great guest this is uh truly going to be a um a, a really like highlight of of this podcast and this this sort of arc and um two i want to invite and encourage you to share with the listeners like your you know social media website all of that good stuff um you know shameless plugs the floor is yours
1: allhiphop.com a-l-l-h-i-p-h-o-p.com no spaces no dashes all hip hop com on all social medias Facebook it's a l l h i p h o p c o m Twitter same thing Instagram same thing uh, for my personal socials everything is at Grouchy Greg g r o u c h y g r e g with the exception of Facebook it's just Grouchy g r o u c h y I managed to snag that one word when when they uh, you know let let you start getting uh custom domains on facebook so yeah that's it you know please log on check us out you know it's a great website if you're in the hip-hop culture this is where you get your crash course on what's happening
0: and there you have it folks i want to again thank the great greg watkins grouchy greg grouchy greg watkins for coming on to the podcast and sharing a bit of his journey and the story behind all hip-hop and i'm rob lee saying that there's art culture and community in and around your neck of the woods you've just got to look for it